It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is Sunday, January the 14th, 2024, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live with another great program for you. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this show, is here, of course, to make it run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by Vietnam War veteran, Zen Buddhist monk, founder of the Zalto Foundation, and author, Claude Anshin Thomas, who has been on the show several times. And this time, Claude is here to help us get 2024 off to a good start with a discussion of finding our inner peace in a time of chaos. And then later in the program, I'll be speaking just a little bit about regaining passion and purpose after loss. And after the program, you can hear this evening's show again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with any website links that we discuss on the program. And you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears. And you'll also be able to hear it on Apple Podcasts. And for information from previous programs and to listen to all of the previous programs since we've been on Blog Talk Radio, which is now about 11 years, um, you can go to my website, drmaricarpell.com, and you can also hear all of those programs on Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And all of those programs are also on Apple Podcasts. And for upcoming programs and events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break, but it'll be very brief, so don't go anywhere. And when we come back, we will be joined by Zen Buddhist monk Claude Anshin Thomas. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone once again is Vietnam War vet, Zen Buddhist monk, founder of the Zalto Foundation, and author Claude Anshin Thomas. Welcome back, Claude. Dr. Carpell, nice to be with you again. Yeah, so nice to start off the year with a conversation with you. <laughs> so thank you for coming back to the program. Um, oh, you're very welcome. It's, it, it, it is it's my been pleasure. a while. 
It's been a while. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you and to all those who listen to your show. Yeah. So so maybe before we, we dive into the conversation, for those who haven't heard you on this program before, um, maybe you can give a little bit about your background. I, I can – surely I'll start with um, – I joined the U.S. military at the age of 17. Um, I volunteered to go to Vietnam shortly after my 18th birthday. Um, I served one tour in Vietnam, which is 12 months. Um, I was injured quite seriously, spent some time in the hospital. Um, when I, um, and I was being treated for the injuries that I received, I was being treated with uh, narcotics. And they never stopped giving those to me. Uh, when I was discharged, um, I spent um, a number of years um, dependent on narcotics and other drugs um, to include alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. I stopped using those in uh, 1983, and I have remained um, abstinent since. I was ordained, um, fully ordained as a Zen Buddhist monk in the Japanese Soto Zen tradition um, 25 years ago. Um, I, I started a foundation. Uh, I established a foundation, the Zalto Foundation, Z-A-L-T-H-O Foundation, Inc. And you can, it can be found online and at zalto.org. And my initial um, motivation to start this foundation was to establish a tax-free base for people to um, donate money to and get some benefit from that to support Vietnam veterans to go back to Vietnam because I discovered that um, returning to Vietnam was very healing for a lot of men. Mm. I would say men and women, but when I served, there weren't so many women um, serving active duty. Most of them were in the nursing Mm. corps. Um, it's mm-hmm. changed a great deal since then. Um, the foundation has grown so much beyond that right now. It's, it's still a very blue-collar foundation. Um, uh, we're not very wealthy, but we the maximum that we can do with the um, support that we have. All the supports for the foundation come through donation. The board of directors are all uh, volunteers. Um, we support... Um, returning combat veterans who are having a a difficult time establishing themselves in a world beyond outside of combat. Um, Mm -hmm. The reality of the reality of war never ever leaves us never. And Mm -hmm. uh, even though there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of people selling or advocating um, different treatments or uh, therapies that will help them um, transcend their the realities of post-traumatic stress or moral injury, but in truth, um, those generally fall short. What mm-hmm. I found, to, especially in my own life, what I have found to be most supportive is learning how to live at peace with my unpeacefulness. Um, mm-hmm. And and this is what led me once I stopped using alcohol and other drugs. This is what led me to um, Buddhist practice. It was actually the suggestion of a social worker that I was in therapy with um, who directed me to a meditation retreat that was being offered to um, a Vietnam veterans at the time. This was like in 1990. And um, I begrudgingly went, and it was transformative for me. Not, not immediately. Um, I had a lot of resistance, but... Um, I just something obviously resonated with me, and I just stayed with um, the practice. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was a practice that helped me to understand that um, first meditation can't be taught, and medica- meditation is not medication. It's not a cure. It's simply a tool that I can use to help me uh, find peace with my unpeacefulness. Mm-hmm. It is also. Um, it's also important. It was important for me to 
get the instructions from the beginning and to really understand this, that meditation and daily life are not two things. Um, so that it's, it's the attention that I establish, the silence that I bring into my life, um, the attention to details, um, being willing to slow down. Um, these are the things that have supported me. So to learn that everything I do is, is an act of meditation if I do it with intention and focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know that you, you know, you work now helping veterans, but you also help non-veterans as well. I absolutely. So, that's just, mm-hmm. I absolutely do, yes. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I say the foundation's grown beyond that. Um, right. We've, um, we've recently, um, we do a lot of, the foundation does a lot of work with um, homeless communities. Um, the foundation mm-hmm. is also established in um, Europe and in South America. And so we work, um, the foundation is working in prisons. Um, we're working uh, with, uh, we're working with homeless populations. Um, mm-hmm. We also are being invited into lock psychiatric facilities. Um, we are, um, We've recently started an initiative called um, the um, Veterans Animal Sanctuary, where um, predominantly we support um, veterans who have um, support animals or pets. And generally, this, mm-hmm. this generally not exclusively, but generally, this um, piece of the of the culture um, has a difficult time um, working in a regular way. And so they're, they're lower on the economic um, uh, scale. So when they have a pet that, has been, that is supportive to them and they run into difficulties with that, um, like the pet becomes ill and, and then they don't have enough money really to cover the, the expense of whatever treatment is right. required, um, mm-hmm. they, reach out, they reach out to us through their veterinarians and mm. this um, veteran's Animal Sanctuary supports them. Um, and and that, that's set up primarily for veterans and their family members. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just trying to think. There, there's just so much that we do. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I know that you were, you know, we spoke one, at one point you were oh, over yes. in Eastern Europe um, helping refugees from Ukraine. Um, yes, that's still happening. That's still going on. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. Mm-hmm. You I know, and just... go on. Sorry, I forget about this delay thing. Yeah. Um, I was. Uh, we have a pretty extensive network um, established in Europe, where um, we have contacts within the. Ukrainian refugee community. And so um, members of the Zolto Foundation in Europe um, are providing um, supports for refugees coming from uh, the Ukraine into their various countries. So they'll mm-hmm. first host them um, and then help them to navigate the bureaucracy um, of getting uh, established with healthcare getting established with a job um, with job training, get them established with language training. Um, they just help them to navigate that. Um, mm-hmm. they, we, we also have, have um, there's an organization that has started um, in one of the uh, European countries where um, a group of Russian expatriates and r- Russian refugees along with Ukrainian refugees and expatriates, uh, meet uh, once a month or uh, once mm-hmm. every two weeks or once a month um, to, find a way, to find a way beyond the propaganda that's sold that brings these two cultures into um, mm-hmm. conflict. That's wonderful. That's really, that's really powerful. Um, so I guess, 
you know, one of one of the issues I think that a lot of people are dealing with right now is that, you know, so much is going on in the world and in our country, and even more so since the last time we spoke, um, where people are fighting right here um, because they disagree with each other um, on on issues related to the world and related to this country and and there's like there's an increasing feeling of of disconnection with people who we even you know once thought were our friends and you know after covid people were coming out of isolation but it feels like things are um, much more isolating recently and there's so much anger and anxiety and fear and violence. Um, So I'm wondering if you have any advice for (laughs) listeners in how we deal with that, how we deal with that feeling of disconnection from people we we were once connected to and that feeling of fear and um, worry, anxiety, anger, all right here in our homes. This question has come up a number of times. And every Sunday at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, um, I do an open session online for questions and responses. People Mm -hmm. attend from all over the world. And they can ask any question they want. And I make my best effort to respond to it um, from a place of my own life experience and from my training um, and uh, study as a Zen Buddhist monk, I often say that I'm not in the business of giving advice. Um, So what I make an effort to do is to, uh, I have have contacts with, I have connections with a variety of different people from from very different backgrounds to me. Um, What I make an effort to do when I um, connect with these people is to just um, bring I make an effort to connect from a human place, uh, not from an ideological place. So I'm, I'm not interested in arguing with them or debating with them about their particular political, religious position uh, or their particular ideological position based on what's going on in the world, but rather bring the focus. This is what helped me in, 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 this, in my training as a, uh, uh, to become a Zen monk was to bring the attention back to me. Um, There's very little I can do on a global Mm -hmm. scale to change the trajectory of what's happening. What I can do is not be an instrument of that, to not propagate that. Um, Coming out of COVID, um, what I cautioned to people regularly was, um, do not, as we begin to come in contact with one another, don't expect it to be like it was before. Um, meet the contact in a new way. Um, and it's, so how do we live in the world today based on the realities of the last couple of years? How have they affected us? How have we lived through them? Um, and, and to um, med- meditation practice and, and keeping in mind that meditation and daily life are not two things. Um, it's about living life intentionally. Um, has me um, looking at where do we connect? Not where are we different. Um, mm-hmm. I, had, I had an incident with a, um, a person who lives in the area, lives across the street from where um, I currently am hosted. Um, and there was someone, a craftsperson here doing some work, and, and they had parked in a way that made it a little bit challenging for them to get in and out of their driveway. It didn't block the driveway. The person... And I, I'd known this person for some time. Uh, they came walking over to, um, to the house. I could see them coming. So I went to the front door and motioned for them to come to the side door like I normally do. And they started to just scream at me uh, mm-hmm. about this car parking. The, the best thing I could do in that moment, not react in the ways in which I am trained and conditioned to react, to not replicate the violence, and it was the nature of the language and the way it was being delivered was aggressive. It was violent. Uh, mm-hmm. She just not 
to not react to that. Um, what I ended up, I ended up not saying too much to the person other than, um, look, please, if this is an issue for you, please call the police. And don't come here and screaming at me like this. And to not mm-hmm. raise my voice, to not respond in kind. Because there is no solution. There's, there's no solution in violence, none. Even if it appears mm. to work, it doesn't really work. Violence only gets more violent sooner or later, someplace or other. Right. Right. So calmly responding to people. Um, well, I don't know if I was, I, I would, I don't know how calm I was. Okay. But I wasn't, but I wasn't screaming and yelling. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, made, I made an effort to be as steady as I could be. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, any thoughts about how to, I guess, deal with that feeling of isolation? That isn't, you know, we're out of we're out of a pandemic, but we're feeling more isolated, or or just as isolated, perhaps, um, because of. So many differences, you know, like political differences divided people. You found your your group of people that you felt like, okay, these are my people. And then other things happen in the world and differences of opinion about those particular things divided Mm -hmm. that group of people who you thought were your friends. And now you're feeling like, okay, so who are my who are my people? And it's well, a very lonely feeling. Yeah, I do. I do understand that. I will say that even amongst that group of people, I look to see where am I connected, not where I am different, mm-hmm. um, because there's still some place that I can connect. So if I attach my my connection to people based on uh, what I believe to be like like mindedness um, i will I will at some point always be uh, let down i'll always be disappointed um, i i have to the, the, the people who are close to me i have i have a, a large group of people that i'm connected with that i i'm engaged with but the people who are genuinely close to me, they're very small, maybe a handful. Um, and, um, and our connection isn't, isn't a connection out of sameness. We may actually, on some instances, we actually have some very different positions um, um, politically and ideologically, but we connect at a very human level. And that makes mm-hmm. all the difference in the world. I don't argue with them or debate with them. They have a right to believe how they believe. It doesn't change the 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 underlying connection that I have with them. And it also doesn't it doesn't change the fact that um, there's not I there's nothing that I wouldn't do for these people mm-hmm. if they if mm-hmm. they needed help or support. So where do I connect? Not where am I different? Um, yes, I I I look at. I look at when people talk about the the, the, um, the tenderness or the fragility of how they experience the world today, and mm-hmm. I simply go, "Yeah, but you didn't grow up when I grew up." <laughs> right. A lot of people forget <laughs> they forget what it was like in this country post Second War. They mm-hmm. forget um, what was like what the political uh, climate was like then. And they forget what it was like uh, with the with the fighting in Korea. Um, they forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, they quickly forget. They quickly forget what the, the 60s were like in this country. They quickly forget the, the fragility of the social political climate at that time. Uh, I remember right. when, I, I, when I was discharged from the military hospital and I returned back to Pennsylvania where I was um, living at the time, western Pennsylvania, um, I went to the local veterans a local veterans organization as a club. Now, when I got out of the military, I, I grew my I grew my hair quite long, and, uh, and yeah, I was down below my shoulders. And 
but I walked in to this club and and I remember I was um, on the pool table and a man came up and said, well, we, we only allow veterans in here. And I said, well, I am I'm a, a disabled combat veteran from Vietnam. And then he looked at me and said, well, we don't let losers in here. Oh, and wow. My res- and my response at that time, I, I didn't have... I didn't have the impulse control that I have now. I didn't, I, I was, I, my relation to the world was much different than it is now. And um, that, that response didn't turn out well for him or for me. And, mm-hmm. and so I, the climate, I, I, I remember in, in sort of central Pennsylvania, I was out of my motorcycle and I had a, I was riding, I had a female partner that I was riding. She was riding behind me. We stopped in a town in the, mountain town in Pennsylvania and went into a diner and uh yeah I had the long hair and I was motorcycle riding had a helmet and things and and um it was this hippie times and and they they actually they wouldn't this restaurant wouldn't serve us mm-hmm. they refused the mm-hmm. service uh, I've just learned how, how small-minded that is we've already we've we've lived in in quite uh, we've lived in, through some difficult times, and quite fragile times. Um, I, I can't dwell on the things that I don't have any control over. I can attend to the things that I do have some direct impact with. Mostly what I can care for is um, I can learn from those experiences how I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you made a really good point with that and you said before that we don't, whatever our opinion is, I think with social media, people feel like they have more power than they really do. Um, We don't have, we don't have the power over changing what happens in the world just by yelling it out on social media. Right. But it often feels that way. Ah, There's a certain anonymity that comes with social media. Um, that gives people the opportunity to um, act irrationally, to mm-hmm. show their um, to show their bottom side. Um, right. I um, I have absolutely zero presence on social media. I I don't even go there um, because it's such a it's an unre- it's such an unreal world. Um, mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that there haven't been some movements on social media that have led to some significant change. Mm-hmm. But this notion, this this uh, notion of invisibility, where I can just say whatever I want or do whatever I want. Uh, when I was growing up, and uh, uh, say in the late fifties, early sixties, um, I can remember um, going to the near. I grew up in a very small rural community, like nine hundred people in northwest Pennsylvania. I went to the. I, I would travel to the next biggest city, and there. I remember I would do all kinds of crazy things because I felt anonymous and nobody mm-hmm. knew me. Like in, my, in the community where I grew up, my father was a school teacher there. It's like he knew things that I was doing before I got home. <laughs> like everybody knew everybody. And, and in, the, in the larger city, that wasn't the case. And so with mm-hmm. that sort of sense of invisibility, I acted out, I just acted out all kinds of silly things. I think social right. media invites that. It does. But I think even with, you know, with your friends who, you know, people who you have conversations with who who we might know off of social media, there's a feeling that if I can convince my friends of this point of view, it'll change the world. But it, mm. it doesn't. <laughs> it has no well, it has no bearing on what happens in the world. What what I have found is that if I don't attempt to convince my friends of the wrongness of their position and the rightness of my position, I don't attempt to convince them of that. If I make an effort to meet them right where they are, the relation I have a lot more, um, our relationship is a lot stronger and I have a lot more possibilities mm-hmm. in, terms mm-hmm. of, uh, in terms of them listening to me. Right, right. That makes sense. So, I mean, that brings me to the next part of this. So, you know, I talked about the feeling of disconnection and we talked about how we relate to other people, 
Now, how do we bring that feeling of peace inside of ourselves when we see all this fighting going on around us in the world and also in our own neighborhood and and with and around our own friends? How do we maintain that feeling of stability within us? There isn't there isn't a formula for that. Um, okay. It, I have to really want to live differently. I have to understand that my problems are not external and my solutions are not external. If I want my life to be different, I need to live differently. So I need to be willing to I need to be willing to cultivate that. I need to be willing to um, understand what. What is what is my suffering? What what are my tendencies here, and how does that feed? How does that feed into the unstableness that I, I seem to experience in the world? Uh, and um, what do I need to stop doing so that I don't um, so I don't sort of jack that up on steroids or something? Mm-hmm. I need to. Be, mm-hmm. I really need to be willing to live differently. I really need to not play into the to the extreme social narratives or the extreme political narratives. And and when I say extreme, I'm, I don't have anything in particular in mind. Uh, I'm just saying that um, peace is peace is not a polit is it, peace is not there's mm-hmm. no political solution that will arrive to peace. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Peace is not a political mm-hmm. process. It's a very personal process. And I have to give up my ideas of what peace is and be willing to look at what is my unpeacefulness and, and how can I learn to establish a new relation with that. It's a difficult path to navigate on my own. Um, with mm-hmm. that, I need some support. So in, in my circumstances, what I needed was a community of of uh, people committed to this path, to a path of um, waking up to this, this this stuff of self that creates more suffering, and and then I needed that community to be um, supported by, in my, in my case, an authentic teacher. Uh, in the beginning, mm-hmm. for me, in the beginning of this journey, the authentic teachers for me, uh, the first was a was an MD psychiatrist who was willing to work with me and not medicate me, but work with me. And then that, um, that evolved into this um, very supportive, tender, and caring relation I had with this uh, social worker who was the one who directed me to the first meditation retreat. Even though, mm-hmm. I, thought she, even though I thought that this social worker was out of their mind, <laughs> and I, I thought it was all about. I thought this what she was sending me to was something all about religion. Trusted in that person enough to take the step and go. Mm-hmm. And that was that's been life altering for me, absolutely life altering. So then, finding communities and and uh, teachers that can support us is really important. Yeah, teachers, guides. Um, for example, in, in my case, everything I do, I do for free. And, and people, don't, I don't charge for what I do. If people um, value or support or value or benefit from their experience with what I pass on to them, and it's it's more the the, the tools that I give them. It's more the disciplines and the rituals that I pass on to them. The thing that drew me to, to Zen practice was that person who I'm ordained by simply said to me, he said, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you believe, and I don't care what you say. What's most important to me is what you do, so that my words mm-hmm. and my actions matched as much as they could, as often as they could. And, and that really invited me, especially they didn't care what I thought or believed in. It didn't matter, because I wasn't being asked to believe in anything in particular, I was being asked to do a certain set of things and do them in a certain way. And nothing was in violation of ethical and moral principles. And those simple um, tools that were passed on to me have helped Mm -hmm. me to literally save my life. Mm -hmm. 
That's pretty powerful. It is. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. powerful. And the 13th of April, 1983, I ended up in intensive care from a um, from a con- from a conscious decision to overdose. Mm-hmm. There was a suicide attempt. So when mm-hmm. I hear about the number of of veteran suicides, if I hear about suicide, I am not surprised by that. It, I understand it very intimately. And and uh, what I know is that there's, there's not a medical solution to that issue. And so when I say that those two individuals helped me to save my life, um, it wasn't that the psychiatrist did some, um, did some Ouija stuff with me and then I was all better. The, uh-huh. This, this this psychiatrist helped me. He he gave me information I needed to absorb and and I needed to try it out. I needed to do the work, and I was completely. I was well. I don't know completely willing, but <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> I, I must have been willing, or I wouldn't be sitting here today. I was willing. Right. I wanted to. I really. I wanted to live differently, and I didn't have any idea what that meant. Mhm. Mhm. Right. I think that's a big part of it is that you, you have to want to want to make change. Um, yes. But you, also, but you also have to be given the tools because if you had the tools, you would have been using them all along. <laughs> so yes. having, having a good teacher. I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, I forget. I, I tell you this delay thing. It's um, I, I haven't really set, settled with it just yet because the conversations with you, um, Dr. Kerpel, are so spirited for me. I really, yeah. I so value, I so value this this opportunity. Um, it just my mind starts to to go quickly, and I I don't have a two minute delay there. <laughs> I, 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 or it's two second delay. Sorry. Um, but yes, um, given that, like, I pass on the tools to people, however, they have to then engage with them. They have to work them. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I can't work them for them. And, and so I get to see if, how much people really want to live differently by how they relate to the various tools. And they're very simple. It's, tools are very simple. It's sit just to sit, walk just to walk, eat just to eat. Um, and but there there are structures there are structures around that and then how to carry and then to carry that into your daily life not rigidly but in a in an organic way to see how you how they can be carried into your daily life. Mhm. Mhm. So that would be mindfulness, right? Is that what you well, would consider mindful living? What I will say is that. Uh, Again, like meditation, meditation can't be taught, neither can mindfulness. Mindfulness, in the strict sense of mindfulness, is a byproduct of a disciplined spiritual practice rooted in self-reflection. Mindfulness really can't be taught. And mm-hmm. it's been, this word has been sort of co-opted and converted into a moneymaker. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's happened throughout, throughout history with uh, with uh, well, I'd say within the realm of Buddhist practice, it, you can say that um, the practices can lead to self-awareness. That self-awareness can be um, uh, can show itself as mindfulness. But any idea we have of mindfulness, um, separate from these disciplined practices, is not truly mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that makes me a little bit controversial in this in the larger order of things because there are, there's such a big mindfulness movement and there's so many now um, licensed mindfulness teachers. Uh-huh. I, I hold I I really I hold really I hold steady with this reality that uh, to attempt to to teach mindfulness without the lo- what extrapolated from the larger context with which it grows from is like removing your little finger 
and asking it mm-hmm. to function independently from your hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're a purist <laughs> when uh, it comes I, to this. Well, I, I, I don't know. I won't argue with that. Um, okay. I, I, would, I wouldn't use the word. And, and, but what I, I would say is that it, um, I think it's important to understand things within the larger context from which they came. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if, that makes if sense. A person, yes, if a person gets introduced to mindfulness, then take it upon themselves to do some research and understand really what it is, what, understand a bit more about this thing called mindfulness, the history of it, where it comes from. Um, the context with which it's grown out of. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't mind being called a purist because I've been called a non-purist in other circles. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so how can listeners um, find out about the Zaltel Foundation and find out about your books and your meditations? I know you have some meditations online. Is that correct? Um, this is correct, yes. Um, if they will go here and they go online, they can find uh, the foundation. The easy to find. It's, it, it's at www.zalto. That's Z as in zebra, A-L-T-H-O dot org. They will go onto that website and, and they will find. We have online offerings every Thursday and Saturday where we do a period of of formal sitting followed by recitation. We sit online at 6 p.m. Central Time and on Thursday, 8 a.m. Central Time on Saturday. Uh, We ask people that join us to be on camera. I don't don't accept people who uh, who come to sitting practice to not be on camera. I don't accept that. I want them to be on camera and be on camera five minutes before the time of sitting starting. And then mm-hmm. um, there's an open session of questions and responses at the same uh, address. On, it's all on Zoom. And then um, as soon as I uh, hang up, as soon as we finish our conversation, I go right out to the uh, meditation hall because I have a, an online um, veterans group where we that's rooted in the discipline. It's a discipline meditation practice. Um, so they can find us at zalto.org, and all of the information is there. The, the work that we do is all listed there. If people want to know about our finances, that's all listed there. And we, we make an effort to be as transparent as possible. The online offerings are listed there, and um, ways to get in contact with us are, are listed there. Also, people are very welcome to write to me. Um, I have a, my email address is... Um, uh, Anshin, A-N-S-H-I-N, at Zalto.org. If they okay. write to me, yeah, if they write to me, um, I only encourage them, the shorter the email, the quicker the response. And, and I okay. make an effort to respond to, I make an effort to respond to all communicate, all. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm going to make sure to post that on my website post about this show um, yeah, later tonight. So yeah. Um, Thank you so much. I know you have to get going because I know you have that yep. group right now and we're running around and I kept you a little longer. Um, oh, that's quite okay. I, I still have 16 minutes. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go far. No, no, just two or three minute walk. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much. I always enjoy speaking with you and I'd love to have you back on again. Um, you know, in the near future and continue this talk. I always feel calmer after I speak to you. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I can, I can say from my side, I equally value um, these opportunities. I really, it's, it's, um, and my conversations with you are very, um, um, they're very alive. They're very alive. And I, I really value that. So thank you well, so very much, and uh, I hope we can continue to be like this. Yes, yes, and um, I'm glad to hear that. I really am. Um, 
and you have a wonderful evening and and we'll be speaking again soon. I look forward to that and and stay warm. Yes, you too. <laughs> and, and, and and please stay safe. Yes, same same to you. Thank you. So, yeah, to you and your listening audience, I place my hands together, palms pressing, and I bow to them in gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Okay. Have a good evening. Yes, thank you bye-bye. so much. Yeah, bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a very quick break. Um, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpell.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpell.com. Um, how do I follow that? That was really just so wonderful. It's always a pleasure to speak with um, Claude and to get his perspective. It's so calming. Um, and I think we really need that right now. And so in the next in the few minutes that we have left, I'm going to keep this pretty brief, um, and I will continue talking about this topic um, in the next few um, shows. Um, I just want to talk about the whole idea of finding our purpose and our passion um, after after loss. Um, for those of you who have been listening to this program or who have followed me on social media or read my blogs, then you know that my mom um, was someone who I was an advocate for in terms of her health care and her care in a nursing home um, for the last few years. And it became more of a, a, a main part of my life in the last two, two and a half years when, you know, as she got older and older and needed more care and moved into a nursing home after having been in the hospital for a month where I became very involved. And I've spoken quite a bit on the program about the things that I was doing for her and what I was learning on the job because having worked with um, older adults um, for the good part of the 30 years that I've been a psychologist, or over 30 years, um, with a specialty in geriatrics in graduate school and working primarily with geriatrics the first several years, um, working in nursing homes and other long-term care communities, I still was not prepared for um, dealing with the issues of actually being a family uh, advocate for a loved one in a nursing home when my mom moved in. And I really learned a lot more when she became a nursing home resident and, and when she was in assisted living and in the hospital. So I've written several blogs about the things that I've learned. I've spoken about it here. In particular, I started a, um, a family council in her community and and facilitated that family council for a few months. We we as a group um, accomplished many things. And this really, this whole job of of advocating and caregiving for a loved one, even if you're not a, a 24-hour caregiver who lives with you, but they live in a community. Um, is a really big job. And I don't think that people can truly understand it until they've been in that situation. And many family caregivers don't know what to do. And I, I did have a little bit um, 
uh, of a leg up on that because of my background working as a psychologist in nursing homes, but I was willing to push it and learn more on, uh, right there on the job. And so I set out to take care of my mom, help to keep her to have the best quality of life and to help other family members um, dealing with the same thing through my writing and doing this program. And then my mom passed away unexpectedly at the end of October um, and it was pretty sudden so that all of that went away. Like that job that I had that was almost like another full-time job on top of my day job went away. Um, my purpose for the last couple of years was was taking care of my mom. So when other things came up in my life, when things were difficult or the world got difficult, I was able to put it into perspective um, by thinking about how, you know, those things are really not as important as taking care of my mom. And then that went away too, that sense of purpose, that feeling of perspective, of other things not being quite as important, that balance that it, that taking care of her gave me, of course, along with the relationship with my mom, we were very close and we got closer and she really, I would say, was like my bestie for the last couple of years, uh, you know, meeting with her on Zoom every day. Um, so there's that part of it. But then there is that purpose and passion part that that stopped. I stopped running the family council because I was no longer a family member and I stopped making the phone calls to make sure she was all right, all of those things. And what I discovered in looking for resources for myself um, to find a way to, to reignite that passion now that she was gone and that purpose that there really are not many resources if any i if they're out there i couldn't find them there are bereavement groups there are tons of bereavement groups and groups were online and a lot of people seem to be making a lot of money at it too advertising their groups and if you pay this much you can be in the group to talk about your grief or, you know, write about it or whatever. Um, there are faith communities about grief. There are also Facebook communities for caregivers. But there are no communities for caregivers who have lost the person that they cared for. And that's a very complex sort of grief because you've, you've not just lost the person, but you've lost a uh, a purpose. And so what I've been working at is creating that for myself. And in doing that, I'm trying to create something that other people can find useful because every caregiver, every advocate for a loved one who is elderly and the healthcare system is going to be in the position that I'm in. Everybody's going to, going to lose that person. And it, it, it isn't going to just be about grief. It will, if they've been very involved, they, it will hit them that suddenly um, all of those, um, the things that they have found to bring purpose into their life in, in relation to caregiving, they just, suddenly evaporate. And so I decided that this would be the sense of, this would be the passion and the purpose that would honor my mom the best. And I think she would really be glad that I did this. And so I'm working on that. Um, I also 
in looking back at when my dad died and um, eight and a half years ago, I realized that, and I don't think I saw it at the time, that what really got me through that, you know, the darkness of the grief um, pretty quickly was that I had my mom to take care of, that I had to direct my attention toward making sure that she was okay because after he passed, she had some issues with her health right around that same time. Um, but now that she's gone, you know, that that's not there. So I'm directing my um, – that energy that I put into my mom, I'm directing it toward um, – helping family members to advocate for their loved ones, um, helping to bring more awareness to ageism in the healthcare system. In fact, um, you know, I'm working on some projects right now to, I'll be, I'll, I'll talk about them at a later time um, in helping family members to really know what's going on because knowing the system is really important in caring for your loved one. And then somehow journaling or documenting this journey of finding passion and purpose after that um, that purpose goes away. And um, so that's that's what I want to let you know about, and I will be um, keeping you posted on this journey down this new path that I'm on in creating um, some new resources that don't seem to exist. So on that note, um, we're going to end here, and I first let me let you know what's happening in the next couple of weeks. Um, next Sunday, January 21st, we'll be playing an encore of one of our recent favorites. Um, and then on the Sunday after, on January 28th, we'll be back with another live program, and we'll be joined by Jake Sloan. Um, Jake Sloan spent most of his adult life working as a civil rights advocate and labor management consultant, and he'll be discussing his new book, Standing Tall, Willie Long versus the U.S. Government at Mare Island Naval Shipyard. And this book is about Jake's experience as one of the original 20, 21ers, a group of young African-American workers who challenged the largest West Coast U.S. naval base to provide equal opportunities and wages, and they won, influencing the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. So that's a pretty exciting um, discussion, and that'll be in two weeks. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and listen to this wonderful interview with Claude Anshin Thomas um, or read the information from this program and get the links that we talked about, you can go to my website, drmaricarpel.com. You can also hear all of the previous programs in the last 11 years by going to my website. And you can also listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden ears and you can listen on apple podcasts in five minutes uh, before be sure to follow me on facebook dr mara carpell your golden ears this show was produced by accomplice entertainment and psyched up productions and thank you to my guest claude anshin thomas and thank you to art thank you all for listening have a peaceful night an inspiring couple of weeks and remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. C'est le bon ton roulé. That is what they all say. C'est le bon ton roulé. That is what they all say. C'est le bon ton roulé. That is what they all say. C'est le bon ton roulé. That is what they all say. Et toi. Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpel 
is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.